He did it all for me. Thank you to Gary and Mark and Stan and Phil. I think they're going to have to come up with a name, don't you? Maybe we ought to let everybody write down what you think the name of their group ought to be. And we'll see, <laughs> we'll see what we come up with. Outstanding. That was beautiful. And what a great message in that song. Well, let's take our Bibles and turn to John 20. John chapter 20. Tonight, as we think again about uh, the resurrection and one of the appearances of Jesus after he rose from the dead, we see what happened a week later from what we looked at last Sunday night. Uh, and so in verses 24 to 29 of John 20, we find Jesus coming back and appearing again to the disciples this time when Thomas was there. I think last week I said the 11 were there. Actually, there were 10 there because Thomas wasn't there when Jesus appeared. But in this account, a week later, he was there. If you look there in chapter 20 of John, verse 24, it says, Now Thomas, called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples, therefore, said to him, We have seen the Lord. So he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach your finger here and look at my hands, and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So it was just too much for Thomas to believe that Jesus had risen from the dead. And this was despite the fact that Jesus had promised, he had said, before he ever went to the cross, he had told them that he was going to be delivered into the hands of sinful men and that he would be crucified and on the third day he would rise again. He had told them that. And this despite the fact that there were ten of his fellow disciples who testified to him, we have seen the Lord. That's what they told him. And so you see the declaration of Thomas, despite all of that, unless I see him and see the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and my hand into his side, I will not believe. Now, there's been much said about the doubting Thomas, right? We, uh, it's even become a, a euphemism, the doubting Thomas. Well, Thomas had been through a lot, hadn't he? 
And it's easy for us to get down on Thomas, but we're a lot like Thomas a lot of the time. Because there's all kinds of evidence all around us every day of the power of God, the love of God, the goodness of God. And yet when the hardships of life come our way, we often go right back to that same place where we've been before and we begin to doubt. It, it's that all of the, the uh, circumstances of life can crowd in upon us and make us begin to doubt the goodness of God, the presence of God. And here, Thomas, having seen or known that Jesus had died on the cross, his world was shattered when that happened. And so it was difficult. It was too good to be true that Jesus was alive. It was beyond belief almost. And the truth is, the fact that Jesus would die for us and rise from the dead, it is almost beyond belief, isn't it? It is too good to be true, but it is true. And that's the amazing thing, that God is better than we deserve. He is better than we can even hope or imagine. And he promises that out into the future for all who believe in Jesus that uh, we haven't yet even begun to imagine how wonderful God is and how wonderful eternity is going to be. But here was a shocking Savior. And I use the word shocking because I think Thomas was truly shocked at all he had been through. And now the idea that Jesus would actually be alive after it looked like everything had fallen apart. That things could be good again. And that life could go on. And there could be hope and eternity. That was something that Thomas had a hard time believing. He is a shocking Savior. In many ways, we could spend the rest of the night trying to list the ways that he is truly shocking. He is beyond what we could even imagine. If we tried to make it up, we couldn't make it up beyond what really happened. When the apostles met on the first Lord's Day after Jesus had risen, Thomas was the only disciple out of the 11 that wasn't there. And so here we are eight days later. And there was Thomas. He was with them this time. So there really were the 11 minus Judas were, were there. And he was the only disciple that was doubting because he was the one who hadn't seen Jesus face to face. How was Jesus a shocking Savior? We see it displayed here. The first way that he is shocking is his patience. He is shocking in his patience. And I think we sometimes forget how patient Jesus is with us. He is so patient. He is so kind. Because I don't know about you, but I try my own patience. You know, I get tired. I get tired of me. I know Rose gets tired of me. I get tired of me. I know I try Rose's patience sometimes. And, but the Lord is so patient with us. And here he was coming back to appear to the disciples, and he sought Thomas out. We've seen this before with Jesus, just like he sought Peter out to restore him. He sought Thomas out here. He didn't have to do that, but he did it. 
And it's, it's a testimony to his patience. If we had been in that situation as Jesus was, if we had died for these disciples, if we had gone through death and risen from the dead for them, we probably would have been angry that somebody didn't believe what we had said was going to happen. But we're not the Savior, are we? Jesus didn't respond that way. Jesus had great patience. He did rebuke his unbelief in a, in a way, in a direct way, but yet in a loving way. He came to him and he manifested himself to Thomas as well as to the other disciples because he wanted to strengthen his faith and he wanted to use him. And the Lord, I think, he comes to us in our weakness and in our, our doubt sometimes. And I think he's there to encourage us, to pick us up, and to help us to get back on track and to do the things that he has set before us to do. He is that kind of a patient Savior. And we should be thankful for how patient he is. It also ought to urge us to be patient with other Christians. The Lord has been so patient with us, and we see how he was patient here with Thomas and sometimes we get down on our fellow believers. And we need to remember that we're not walking in their shoes. We don't know exactly what they're going through, but the Lord does. And if he was patient with Thomas, and if he's been patient with us, we need to be patient with each other and help one another when we're down. When someone's down, we need to, to encourage them and help them as they try to get back up and uh, get back on the road of doing what the Lord wants them to do. And to grow in their faith the way that he did here with Thomas. He's also shocking in his love. Of course, his patience was born of his love, wasn't it? The fact that he loved Thomas. And when you love somebody, you tend to be or should be. It should be easier to be patient with somebody that you love. Although that doesn't always work that way, does it? Sometimes... We're less patient with the people we love the most because we expect more of them. They're just supposed to know. They're just supposed to understand. But despite the fact Jesus loved Thomas and these disciples, he also was wonderfully patient with them. He invites Thomas to put his fingers in the nail prints and to put his hands in his side. That's what Thomas had said it was going to take for him to believe. And so Jesus appears. He stands in the midst just like he had done the previous week. He said he stood in the midst of them. He pronounced peace upon them. He always brings peace, doesn't he, when he comes. When we're in the presence of God, his peace is given to us. The peace that passes all understanding. And then he spoke directly to Thomas. Verse 27. Then he said to Thomas, reach your fingers here, your finger here, and look at my hands, and reach your hand here, and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. His love was displayed here. His love for Thomas, and of course the fact that he has those nail prints in his hands, and the wound in his side, and the, the print in, uh, in his feet 
That in, is evidence of itself of his love for us, isn't it? Do you, do you see this, that the risen Christ has the, the marks of that love? The risen Christ has the marks of his love for us. And those wounds, the marks of those wounds, are evidence for eternity of just how much he did and does love every one of us. Those were wounds received and endured for us. His love was that great. His love was that strong. It's shocking how much love Jesus has for us. And he's shocking in his power. This Savior, the risen Christ, is shocking in his power. Look at verse 28. Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Who is this he was talking to? Thomas now fully realized who it was he was talking to. Yes, he realized it was Jesus, the Jesus he had been with for three years. But he realized, I think, even more now. This, this is God. This is God himself who had come in flesh. He realized who it was he had been with for three years. I think he, 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 he must have had a, a sense that this was the Messiah. He must have had that sense or that belief perhaps. But now he knew that the Messiah was God himself. And he confesses that. My Lord and my God, he says. He confessed Jesus as both Lord and God. One writer said it is as much as a man could say if he wished to assert indisputably and dogmatically that Jesus is indeed God and Lord. We find David saying, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. And in another place, Psalm 35, 23, he says, my God and my Lord. And so Thomas was using terms used by David to directly refer to God himself. And the Jewish people did not use those words lightly or loosely. In fact, they were, they were very careful about who they described. They didn't even want to say the name of God. They wanted to be very careful with the use of the name of the Lord. And yet here Thomas deliberately, spontaneously, he says this. My Lord and my God. I think it's because he saw that the man at whose feet he had been sitting at was more than a man, was God himself. He was amazed. He was shocked. And here was Jesus, and he confessed him as my Lord and my God. Now, this became a statement of doctrine. This is one place we can go in Scripture where it is indisputably in Scripture stated that Jesus is God, my Lord, and my God. There are many Scriptures that bear that out, but this is one, and this is, a, this is an important one. But this was more than just a doctrinal statement for Thomas. This was his personal confession because he said, my Lord, he said, my God. 
And that's what must always happen. It's not just a, a theological doctrine that we need to have about Jesus. It's a personal relationship with Jesus. It's a personal confession that he is my Lord. He is my God. And that's what Thomas had come to as he stood there face to face with Jesus. Now, why now? Why this confession at this moment, at this point? Yes, he was looking at Jesus face to face. But I think that the way Jesus spoke to him helped bring him to this moment. And the way that Jesus spoke to him, if you notice, he knew what Thomas had said. He knew what Thomas had said. He wasn't there when Thomas said that. When Thomas had said, if you look back in verse 24, Thomas was not there, it says. He was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples said to him, we have seen the Lord. So he said to them, to the other disciples, unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. That was before Jesus had reappeared in the room. Verse 26, eight days later, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with him. And then here comes Jesus, stood in the midst, peace to you. And what does he say to Thomas? Reach your finger here. He knew it. He knew what was in Thomas's mind. He knew what Thomas had previously said without it being told to him. And Thomas is standing there. Now, he knows, Jesus knows what I said to the disciples a week ago. And now he is telling me exactly, he's repeating to me what I said about him. Reach your finger here and look at my hands. Reach your hand here and put it into my side. Perhaps just as powerful is what he didn't say. He said nothing about his feet, did he? Jesus didn't say anything about the, the nail prints in his feet. Thomas hadn't said anything about that. He had only talked about his hands and his side. And that's exactly what Jesus said to Thomas. And I think the weight of that, the realization of that, only God would be able to know what was in my mind. Only God would be able to know what was in my heart. And he came and directly spoke to Thomas he has the way of doing that doesn't he he still does that he knows exactly what's in our heart and our mind sometimes it may be things we've told to another person but sometimes it's things we've not ever uttered to another living soul but God knows those things too and he speaks to our heart he speaks to what's in our mind. Sometimes he does it through circumstances. Often it's through the Bible. Have you ever picked up the Bible and read it and it was like it was just personally written for you that particular day? Well, it was. It was because the Spirit of God takes the written word, the living word, and applies it to you and to me so that it is a fresh word. It's new every morning. The love of God, the faithfulness of God, the word of God. And here was Jesus speaking directly to the need, the questions, 
that Thomas had. And he still is doing that in your life and in mine. Everything was exact. Thomas was overwhelmed. And so his response was, my Lord and my God. He was moved to confession. And really, when we're in the presence of God, it moves us not to demand, not to debate, but really it moves us to simply confess, to, to honor, to worship, to praise. And that's what happened with Thomas. He was in a debating mood before this, but not now, not anymore. It doesn't even say he had to put his, his, uh, his finger into the nail prints or his hand into this. It wasn't necessary anymore because he knew this was my Lord and my God. And Jesus is shocking in his presence with a capital P. The presence of God is so vital for all of us. It's so overwhelming that he is present with us. And you see how he was present with these disciples? I mean, he went directly and appeared to them. And he did that deliberately because he knew they needed his presence. And we need his presence. And he is present with us. He promises to be with us wherever we go. He promises to be with us together when we gather together to worship. And so he literally is right here in this very room. His presence is here. And he lives within us through his spirit. And the presence of God is overpowering. It is wonderful. Jesus noticed in verse 29, blessed, uh, he, he said to Thomas, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. And then he pronounces a blessing on you. Did you know you're in this passage? You are in this passage of Scripture. He says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. I think that we often, and you hear people say it sometimes, well, I've got this person that I'm trying to win to Christ if Jesus could just appear to them, if they could just see him the way they did in the first century, of course they would believe in him. Of course they would follow him. Is that true? Not necessarily, right? There were more people who didn't follow Jesus than did follow him when he was right there in the flesh. And so Jesus here says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. That's all of us. That's all of us. None of us has received a post-resurrection, face-to-face, physical appearance of Christ the way these disciples did. And yet here we are. We believe, don't we? We believe in Jesus Christ. We believe he is alive. You ask me how I know he lives? He lives within my heart. And so, you see, Jesus knew there would be legions of people who would follow him and believe in him, though they had never seen him. 
and he pronounces a specific blessing. But it's his presence, see? His physical presence was there with those disciples. But that doesn't mean he's not present with us today simply because we don't see him standing in front of us. He is present with us. He is present through the Holy Spirit who lives within us. He is present in his word that is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. He is present with us through other believers. Christ lives in me. He lives in you. Every time we're together, the presence of Christ is there. And so presence is so important as we live for Christ, as we serve him, and as we grow in our faith, we need his presence because his presence enables us to go on. And he, he says, he promises, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He will be present with you. Now, his presence is not dependent on your feelings or your circumstances. This is where Christians a lot of times get in real trouble because you don't feel him present with you or you're in a situation where things are difficult. Where is God? Well, God hasn't gone anywhere because he's always faithful. And you trust by faith that he will do what he says and he promises to never leave you never forsake you so you can know that that is going to be the reality and that's where you push on through your feelings and your circumstances and you just trust God you hang on to him his presence will always be there I close with uh, some words from an article that was actually published in the Kansas City Star. might be kind of shocking that it was published there. Uh, back in 2016. And it's an interview. It's kind of an article about Billy Graham. And it was around Easter time. And the article reads, some part of the article reads, Christians should stop doubting God and be thankful for what he's done. The Reverend Billy Graham wrote in a recent post. In a March 25 post for the Kansas City Star, the evangelical leader explains that although Christians may have their doubts, uh, may have their doubt in Jesus at times and his ability to rise from the dead, they should, quote, lay their doubts at the foot of the cross and ask God to help them see Jesus as he really is. The Baptist minister points specifically to John 20. 29, this verse that we've just read, where Thomas's doubts about Jesus are gone once he sees the risen Lord. He also references Luke, who in spite of being a medical doctor, believed in Jesus' death and resurrection. Quote, how was it possible for Jesus to be raised from the dead? It could have happened only if God did it, and that's precisely what took place. And because he rose from the dead, you and I can have hope. Hope today and hope for life beyond the grave. Death has been defeated, Graham declares. The preacher adds that although Jesus was able to rise from the dead, humans cannot escape the finality of death. Death is our final enemy. And you must be prepared to stand before God. 
Ultimately, Graham encourages people to lay their doubts about Jesus' death and resurrection at the foot of the cross this Easter season and just embrace God for who he is and the gift he has given us. Lay your doubts at the foot of the cross and ask God to help you see Jesus as he really is. And on this Easter weekend, may you be like Thomas, whose doubts vanished once he saw the risen Christ. Build your life on the foundation of God's Word, the Bible, and seek His help in prayer and in fellowship with other believers. And so the advice that Billy Graham gave to the Kansas City Star is the truth that Thomas experienced and that everybody can experience. See Jesus for who He really is. And that's what Thomas did that day. He saw that Jesus was my Lord and my God. And it became personal for him. And all of his doubts, they, they just fell by the wayside. Because all he could see was Jesus. We need to see Jesus clearly. We need to see him as the Savior, as the Lord. We need to see him as the Savior who loves us and gave himself for us and is alive today. We need to see him as the only hope, the Savior for all people, if they will only call upon his name. He is a shocking Savior. But praise God that he has broken through all the barriers that would keep us separated from God and in sin. And instead, he has given us life everlasting. Would you pray with me? We thank you, Lord, for what you did for Thomas. That you went directly to him. And that you helped him to see you clearly. And we pray, Lord, that you'll help us to see you clearly. And to confess you as Lord and God. And help us to take that truth to the world around us. Everybody needs to see you for who you really are. And may they be able to see you through our lives. As we love you. As we serve you. As we worship you. And as we share you with our our lives and with our words. Lord, help others to see you your love and power and grace. Now in this time of invitation tonight, Lord, we pray for your leadership. If there are decisions, commitments we need to make to you, either publicly in front of this congregation or privately, we pray that you will lead us now to be obedient to you. And may we leave here tonight, Lord, surrendered and committed to you, usable, in your service. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.